Uh, without further ado, I'll let uh, Simon introduce our speakers for this evening. And my personal thanks, you'll be hearing from me later, for you coming this evening. Thank you very much, Mark. It's lovely to see people here this evening, guests perhaps not been here for a while, old friends who are here again, as well as the church family. But it's a particular honour to welcome this evening Alex, Hugh and Katie. And they'll be sharing uh, for us about what the Lord is doing in our diocese beyond the four walls of the church, how the church is engaged in the world. And the title for this evening, Why Should Christians and the Church Engage in the Public Sphere? So we're really looking forward to you coming. Thank you for coming from as near as Crooks and as far as Halifax. We really appreciate it this evening. If we can welcome, please, very warmly, as Alex begins, Alex Shilkoff. Alex, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. It's really lovely to be with you. So a few months ago, uh, Mark asked me if I'd come and share some thoughts on being a Christian in the public sphere. And I thought I'd bring two wise friends with me to help me. Some of the things we share this evening might really chime with you. Some of it might be new. Some of it you might know a lot more um, than us. So there's lots of different angles that we could take to explore being a Christian and a church in the public sphere. Tonight we're taking a social action angle. Um, and by social action we mean individual or group activities directed to achieving benefits for the community or a segment of the population. Uh, we're all going to draw on our personal and professional experiences and hope that you find it useful food for thought. So I'm Alex. I'm, my paid work at the moment is Strategic Programme Director for the Diocese. That means I help to coordinate our plans and resources with others to try and be the best stewards we can of the resources God has blessed us with. So I'll just let Katie and Hugh introduce themselves and then Hugh will kick off tonight's presentation. Thank you, Alex. Um, I'm Katie, Katie Bell, so I'm the Chief Executive to the Sheffield Diocesan Board of Finance and the Diocesan Secretary here in the Diocese of Sheffield. Particularly this evening, I'll be drawing on my experience prior to joining the Diocese uh, in the Salvation Army, uh, who I'm just touching a little bit on the work that they do and how that may translate into a more generic approach to social action. So, yeah, I'll stand here if I may, actually. Is that all right? I think we're going to either be here or there, but if, if yeah, here feels a bit closer. That's a, <laughs> Though it's a smaller lectern thing, that's, uh, yeah. Uh, my name's Hugh, Hugh Thomas. I'm Diocesan Director of Education for the Diocese of Sheffield. I sometimes tell kids when I'm saying my job title, I say it's a job title so long, some people fall asleep while I'm saying it. And... I love it. It's only happened a few times, but occasionally one kid has actually made a snoring noise towards the end. Uh, I always think they'll go far. That, that child will go far. Uh, just means that I do the stuff that we do with regards to schools and education. Um, also relevant to tonight, I think I'll just mention as well, I'm one of the priests. I'm self-supporting um, minister based at Christchurch in Pittsmore, which some will know here because we've had links in the past, um, and so actually some of the stuff I'm going to refer to tonight is more that role, that hat, than the education hat. Yeah, so am I doing the first bit? I'm, I'm looking at, yes, right, so shall I kick off? When Alex said I get to kick off, I didn't know which, which version you meant of kicking off for a minute then, but, uh, and I gather that we've got to say, next slide please, when we want the slides moved on. So um, the slides and stuff, most of what you need is also on the 
bit of paper in terms of handouts. I've got a separate handout to the connections one. Can you just wave it so I can see people have got it? Have you got yeah, lovely. Okay. Um, so public life and the church's engagement in wider society, wider culture, and why we do it. Cards on the table, that's my business. That's education and the church's role in it. We established, we established the National Society in 1811. When I say we established it in 1811, I didn't personally. I've been around a while, but not that long. We established the National Society in 1811 uh, to provide education for the public, for the poor. In this diocese, we'd been doing it since 1612, Lawton School. Uh, you lot, Ecclesall, you got in on the game in 1834. Here's the interesting thing. The state caught up 36 years later. You were there 36 years ahead of the state. The Foster Elementary Education Act, providing schools for poorer kids, came 36 years after you. So why is it? Why should we? Why do we do that? I'm going to suggest to get that idea, we need to go in two directions. First one is us looking outwards to the public sphere. Because it all starts with Jesus. Could we do the next slide, please? We do education because it's a work of God. It's about wisdom, hope, deeply theological things, community, dignity, but involvement like that, if you could do the next slide, please, is it's in our church's DNA. It's in our missional DNA. There's the church's five marks of mission. Just take a moment to look over them. I think they're beautiful words. I love the five marks of mission. They're on your sheet as well. Just take a look at the third one particularly. Loving service. Or that fourth one. Transforming the unjust structures of our society, the care for creation. The thing is, sometimes we get into the habit of seeing the first two, evangelism and discipleship, as the real work, that's what we're really about. And the others, they're sort of frills, they're sort of add-ons, they're sort of nice things we do uh, alongside it. In fact, even number three, service. Sometimes there's a risk it can develop a little Mark 1 and 2 type agenda to it. So we go and feed the homeless, but really what we want is to see them saved, to see them converted. That's why we're feeding them. That's, that's the risk. That's the dilemma. We have this mindset sometimes of, you know, we're on the inside, there's an outside. We've just got to get people over that imaginary boundary. But in his brilliant book, Public Faith, this would be one of my recommendations for a Lent read, okay? Public Faith by Miroslav Wolf. He challenges that boundary image. If we could have the next slide, he says this vision of Christian identity in the public sphere. He says Christian identity, and he is talking about the public sphere. He's not talking about evangelism. He's not talking about other ways in which we are missional. Christian identity is established not primarily by denying and combating what is outside, but by embracing and highlighting the center of what is inside, Jesus Christ as the Word. Now, just to be clear, Wolf is not saying, you know, there isn't a boundary, or he's not saying we're not inside our faith. He's not saying that at all. I certainly feel inside the faith. But he's saying that for our engagement in public life, 
there's a particular shift in how we see these things that we maybe need to consider. And if you look at the next slide, public engagement, I suggest to you, involves shifting our thinking from this idea that there's a bounded circle and there's insiders and outsiders, shifting that idea that you're in or you're out, and and, and I think actually sometimes we pay a lot of attention in that model to the boundary. We spend a lot of time defining it and almost like worrying about it. What Miroslav Wolf is saying is that when you do public faith, that engagement springs from Jesus. You can get a bit more relaxed as a result about the boundary. Because what you're actually doing is going back to the heart of who this is all about. Actually, to use the words of Matthew 25, public faith starts with us asking, so when, Lord? When, when did we see you? When do we see you hungry? When do we see you in prison? When do we see you crossing a small boat in the English Channel? When? When? It's that Matthew 25 thinking. And we relax the boundary and we embrace the centre, which is Christ the Word. So that's like the bit about us going out there. But what about the other direction? What about the public sphere in response to us? Well, at this point, this is what you get for asking a primary school teacher along. At this point, I need my little primary school thing, okay? Because um, there's good news on that front. And the good news is this. The public sphere really wants the church involved. I do a lot of work in that sphere and I am always welcomed. Councils, external agencies, they want us. They really want us to get out there. I recommend the report from the Christian think tank. It's on the next slide, if that's right, um, called Doing God. And I think we got the links and I put the links elsewhere on various websites, which I can mention later if you want. Uh, it's from Theos, the Christian think tank. It tells a really interesting story. The story goes something like this. Way back there, there was a time when public life, there it was, with the church right in it. Like that. does feel a bit Tommy Cooper, actually, this. Okay, not like that, like that. Okay. Um, but there you go, the public sphere, the church in it. But society changed, and it sort of distanced itself away from the church a bit and moved the church away, or it moved away, there was a bit of a divide came there. And look, colleagues, I saw this. I, I was part of this, possibly even, uh, having worked in, mainly in, in non-church schools. There was a challenge to the church's entitled sense that it could just walk into the school. There was a challenge in certain quarters to how and when prayers were done and things like that. That, that did happen in public life. I was there when it happened. Sometimes it needed to happen, actually. But the church got pushed out. But then what Nick Spencer says in this report is that something happened. The public square then came to a point where it said, hang on a minute, there's something missing. There's something missing. It's that something that brings depth. There's something that inspires compassion. There's something that gave us a certain compass and a certain debate about the ethics of this stuff. It's gone. What? Where's it gone? And he gets this conclusion, which I think is a tremendously hopeful message to anybody looking towards the church's place in public life. He says, all this means, that's this little narrative, 
Not is, all this means, not so much that religion is coming back into the public square, as the fact that the public square is shifting, orientating itself around the question of well-being, and in so doing, moving into the territory that religions have inhabited for many centuries. The public square is coming back to God rather than the other way round. One encouragement I would offer is just my own experience of you do not find doors slammed in the church's face in the way that sometimes people think they can be. It doesn't happen. So, we've got our attitude wanting to get out there, embracing Jesus Christ and that inspiration. We've got an open door in that direction. But how do the twain meet? Well, to answer that one, I'm going to ask for the next slide and I'm going to draw on Sam Wells from St. Martin's in the Fields. Uh, a socially engaged church working with the destitute. It's also a bit of a, a hub for the arts. Um, and in his book, The Nazareth Manifesto, another cracking book, Sam Wells, he shares four ways. These four ways, they're also on your sheet there, the grid. Four ways of approaching public engagement. They're all combinations of the words with and for and the words do and be. So with for do be be do and, yeah, not the, actually don't get confused with the Frank Sinatra theology which is do be do be do alright that's a completely different thing but I'll just rattle through these and he uses the example of a homeless person when he explains them if any of you were at the Lent lectures in I think 2016 uh, the Shrove Tuesday lecture in 2016 he unpicked this there as well so some of you might remember this from there and I've put a link to the video of that on your notes Sheffield's a city of sanctuary very proud of the fact we are a destination for asylum seekers uh, I've worked got to know many of them got to hear many amazing stories of journeys taken and reasons why folks are here Faced with the fact that we have a large number of asylum seekers in our city, the church, the Christian faith, can do one of four things, Wells suggests. You could campaign for the rights of asylum seekers. You could challenge the government. You could write to the Home Secretary. You could do that sort of thing. That would be what he calls doing for, to do for. Or you could actually go and work with them. And volunteer with agencies that find housing and give them access to health care and support. That would be doing with. You notice the difference is, in the first one, you don't actually have to meet an asylum seeker. In the second one, you probably do need to be with. So it's the difference between for and with. And you're doing the stuff. The third response is all about the formation of attitudes, both as individuals, but also as a church congregation. It's about what we read, what we say, what we discuss, what we think, how we get those ideas percolating around. It's the process lots of people follow, you know, and you end up, if it works, you end up becoming increasingly angry with the Daily Mail, you know, and, uh, and this attitude, this disposition is about you basically becoming or being for, being for the asylum seeker. Again, interestingly enough, in that one, you don't actually have to encounter an asylum seeker. And then there's the one where you're being with somebody, befriending them, getting to know them, 
sharing life with them, connecting in, in that way, in conversations, in partnership, in working together. And, and uh, I mean, in this city, for example, just to quote one example, we have a fantastic scheme in this city, Refugees at Home. You can actually accommodate an asylum seeker who's caught up in the system who otherwise would be, quite literally, this is genuine homelessness, sleeping under one of the bridges or down in the arches down the bottom of the valley over my end of town. Um, it's a profound experience if you're ever inclined to do that. But it, look, basically, being with, it's about that personal sharing and receiving. Now, I find that a really useful frame for my own involvement and for my church's involvement and the church's involvement uh, with its thoughts on action and engagement. The divide lines are not perfect. You know, like in a food bank, I suppose, you know, handing out the food, you're doing something for the people. If people then volunteer and actually start to manage it themselves, the clients, then it becomes a bit more doing with. It's not supposed to be a sort of a test or a grid or something like that that you have to fit into. But it does lead Wells to this very interesting conclusion on the next slide. He says, look, they're all useful, but being with is both the method and the goal of social engagement. A lot of the engagement, a lot of the provision in society does take the form of doing for. Don't get me wrong, there's a real place for doing for. If, uh, you know, if I have a heart attack, I want my cardiac surgeon to do it for me. I do not want to work in partnership with them. I, I, they know what they're doing. I, I want them to just get on with it, okay? Um, but there's a risk with doing for. Um, uh, there's a risk with all of them. But the, the risk with doing for, which is our usual model, is this. If... You, if um, if you're homeless and I do a soup run, I will ladle you out my soup and you will be satisfied. That will be a great thing that's happened there. But I won't have engaged. I won't have learned necessarily from you. I'll have dished out to you. There's a risk that I haven't received from you. There's a risk that my understanding of what's going on that means that you're there and I'm here and we're in this relationship that I haven't got anywhere with that. So that's why um, he says this thing about being with is both the method and the goal of social engagement. We are incarnational. It's just about us being incarnational. Whatever our public engagement, the Christian church, this is the case in education, in work with asylum seekers, in work with the homeless, in work with all other areas, our goal and our inspiration is the incarnation. And it involves our being, not just our doing, and the manner of our being is not just for, it's that beautiful word, with. So a few thoughts just to get us going this evening. Thank you. Thank you, Hugh. Uh, so as we think about Christianity in the public sphere, I'm prompted to consider how we express our faith beyond the walls of our churches. So Hugh has touched on this just now. If you could go into the next slide, please. Oh, no, he's missed his waitress milk. <laughs> Next one. <laughs> so those, those two pictures are similar to the pictures that Hugh has already shown you. One shows faith potentially, people of faith potentially constrained within what is depicted as the walls of a church building. The other shows people dispersed, potentially using their faith in their place and building their own community. So we're connected in our Christian faith 
but we're not constrained by either metaphorical or physical walls in our buildings. Our communities, I would argue, are no longer served by an attractional model of church. It's not new, new thinking, and I'm certainly not an expert, but I just want to offer you a perspective as I talk to you this evening. So I've grounded most of my thinking in uh, Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16, so you'll be familiar with these, but I'll just read them to you now. You are the salt of the earth, but if that salt loses its flavour, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing and has to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world, A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In a recent book called Living God's Future Now, Michael Curry argues and challenges that antagonisms in our communities, there are antagonisms and challenges in our communities, But ask, are you being called to help make that real, to build that community in your place? Uh, It's put more simply and more directly in Tia Fund's recent campaign, which says, poverty is not God's plan. You are. Which is a striking challenge, I think. So before joining the Diocese of Sheffield, I worked for eight years in the Salvation Army. Uh, You may be familiar with the Salvation Army's approach. Uh, It's one that's encapsulated in the phrase, heart to God and hand to man. So it's a simple statement, uh, but it conveys some of their focus work within the communities that they they serve. Many Salvation Army Corps, uh, which is what they call their churches, started as either goodwill centres or they present very much as a community centre or a hub in their place. So that's not unique to the Salvation Army. We'll hear a little bit more later from Alex about how that works across our own diocese. Um, The Marks and Mission that Hugh spoke about before talk about responding to human need by loving service and transforming unjust structures of society. That's the same thing. So yesterday, the Salvation Army released their annual report simply entitled Love on the Frontline. And it notes that in the last year, they have provided 2,920 beds each night across 79 centres. They have supported 3,533 survivors of modern slavery. Their Employment Plus programme helped 1,567 people back into work. And they supported the emergency services in over 250 incidents. So I would argue that this requires clear intentionality in how we live out our Christian faith in the public sphere. In all of these instances, these points of engagement rely on a Christian leader living out their faith, but more often than not, supported by either lay teams of paid employees or volunteer teams. And in all cases, these things are outside the walls of their churches and within the communities that they serve. In other words, people like you in their public spheres of influence. If we just go to the next slide, please. I feel a bit Chris Whitty saying that all the time. Um, so you've seen this slide before. Uh, Hugh just explained really well in terms of, and some of that I'm going to repeat slightly, but I've been highlighted social engagement. So I used to work for KPMG, which is a professional services firm. And at the end of each um, engagement, we would complete what was called an engagement review form. And in that context, an engagement was a time-limited intervention or review of activity with a specific client with the objective of solving a problem or of adding value. 
And it strikes me that some of this can also be true about how we think about our social engagement in our communities. A time-limited project for which we are a resource for a time-limited period of time where we will give certain gifts in certain quantities to achieve a certain objective, solve a certain problem, or to add a certain value. But it could be seen as a limitation, both in the, in the effectiveness of this in transforming the lives of those that we serve, but also in how we share our faith in those contexts too. Going to the next slide, please. So moving from working for to working with. Uh, when we think of serving our communities, recent research suggests that an asset-based approach is most effective. So that's described as a core idea being communities can drive the development process themselves by identifying and mobilising existing but often unrecognised assets. So that's picking back up on what Hughes just said around we assume we can give, but we don't often think... What is this teaching us? What are we learning? And how can we grow from this experience? So some things that we may do is intentionally creating listening cycles and simply creating space. So that's not just around um, a quick in-out project, time-limited, resource-specific listening exercise. It's about creating a space that is continuous, that actually listens and hears the needs of those communities that we serve, provides feedback and acts accordingly. We need to prepare to be challenged. So not only do we need to do this well and safely, taking account of all of our safeguarding responsibilities, because there's a lot of vulnerability in some of these communities that we serve, but we also need to be prepared that what's presenting as the initial issue or challenge or reason for help being asked may only be the tip of the iceberg when we actually start to understand the root causes and also other things that may be facing that community. So prepare to be challenged. Sometimes in this work we'll need to reassess our own inherent expectations and our own prejudice. And I would also challenge you, what's the ultimate aim of your, your ministry? So how do we measure success? So statistics for mission may or may not capture some of this. We may look at the numbers. I've already read you some numbers this evening from the Salvation Army. But what that doesn't tell you is the stories. It doesn't tell you about the lives transformed. So in terms of our ministry, we need to make sure we're focused on the right things. God's love working in and through you, I would argue. The next slide, please. So this is a, a quote taken, it's quite a long quote, I won't read all of it, but it's from uh, Rowan, a Rowan Williams book um, called Luminaries, and it talks about um, Florence Nightingale, who I think we could all probably agree shows good community engagement and service in her own community. Um, and the things I take from that are the message around lights for Christ, so we take that back to our baptismal calling. We're all lights for Christ, called to shine in the world. In terms of multiple points of community engagement, there will be multiple opportunities, but what I would argue is that we need to be intentional. So he talks about an illuminating exactitude, clear sight. Love, if it's going to make a difference, has to be precise. And that's about how we think about how we do these things well. Community organising is a really great method for doing that. Um, I don't, I'm not referring to that here, but what I mean is we can organise programmes, but actually how do we really meet people where they are and transform their lives as we do our social action? Next slide, please. So, missional disciples, it's one key area of our national strategy. You've probably heard that referred to in our recent strategy engagement or through the national church work that's going on. It's an opportunity 
not simply for that to be the end goal, but it is definitely an opportunity to engage in long-term projects which offer a discipleship opportunity, not only for those that are engaging in the work with you, the team that you work with alongside each other, but also the people that you're serving. Community sponsorship might be another way of doing it in terms of a fundraising opportunity or a way in which you can provide resource or space to enable others to meet people in their community. We cannot meet every need, so I talked about 2,920 beds each night across 79 centres in the Salvation Army meeting some of the needs of the homeless. That doesn't represent every homeless person off the streets. It represents a good percentage, maybe, and a really good intention. But we can do as much as we can do well, and that won't be everything, and sometimes that's a limitation on this work. Uh, we need to do what we do well, do it intentionally and work in partnership with others so we're not replicating but we are doing as much as we can with what we've got available to us and also the community in which you serve might not represent typical opportunities of what we might call community engagement so it might not be an area whereby a food bank would be the most effective way to meet your community it may need, may need to consider how we support people through relationship breakdown or through loneliness and isolation and that's about the listening that's about understanding where you are and being in your place your place, your public sphere and sharing your Christian faith next slide please so I'm just going to finish before Alex moves on to the holy dissatisfaction as you can see there um, and just remind you back to where we started you are the salt of the earth you are the light of the world let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Okay, some final thoughts from me. Uh, some personal inspirations and also uh, some good news from uh, our diocese. So for me, taking action's usually been prompted by that feeling of holy dissatisfaction. So feeling like we must be able to do better than we're doing at the moment. This doesn't feel right. Um, I've been really fortunate. I've been able to use the gifts and talents I've been given um, in a few different spheres to hopefully make a difference. I've probably strayed too much into the doing for and being for, but hopefully I've included the being with. So these two things um, actually have had quite a big impact on my life. When I was at university, I read the Beveridge Report, uh, which proposed widespread reforms to the system of social welfare to address what he identified as five giants on the road of reconstruction. And those giants were want, disease, ignorance, squalor, idleness. Um, I am going to give a quick mention to Beveridge's wife, mathematician Janet Phillips, because she actually did most of the research for his report. So it should be really the uh, Beveridge and Phillips report. However, want, disease, ignorance and squalor. That language now feels quite archaic, but at the time it was overwhelmingly popular with the public form the basis of post-war reforms that we know well of national insurance, establishment of the NHS. And Archbishop William Temple said it was the first time anyone had set out to embody the whole spirit of the Christian ethic in an act of parliament. And that isn't something I can imagine our current Archbishop saying very often. Uh, but I thought that was really interesting that that was William Temple's take on what that report and act of Parliament was trying to do. And that spurred me on to train for a career in public services because I was so moved by what people were trying to do at that time. Uh, the other thing that's had quite a big impact on me um, was the life expectancy in Sheffield. 
So um, the most accurate up-to-date figure I could get was 2020. But life expectancy in this wonderful city is 7.9 years lower for men and 7.9 7 years lower for women in the most deprived areas of Sheffield than the least deprived, um, with the trend of that increasing and getting worse. So the gap getting larger and life expectancy age going down. Um, and I just thought, surely we can do a bit better than that as a society. Um, the most recent Joseph Roundtree Foundation report, which there's a link to on your handout, states the following. Poverty rates continue to be highest for people in the social rented and private rented sectors, and much higher for households including a disabled person or an informal carer. The impact of the cost of living crisis on customs we take for granted is laid bare in Roundtree's latest cost of living tracker, where around half of the poorest fifth of families say they have reduced spending on food for adults. Half are already reducing the number of showers that they take, to, and around six in ten are heating their home less. Around four in ten families with children are spending less on food for their children. And there remain huge variations in poverty rate by ethnicity. Around half of all people in households headed by someone of Bangladeshi ethnicity were in poverty, with rates for people in households headed by someone of Pakistani or black ethnicity also having very high poverty rates of more than four in ten. And that is twice the rate of people in households headed by someone of white ethnicity. So, so many challenges that people are facing just week to week there. Um, and I think some of the ideas we've touched on, on being with and just understanding those challenges, I think might be a start. Um, so these things have inspired me in my own life um, to develop, try and develop some knowledge. And over the years, I've been able to volunteer in the youth offending team, a church lunch club and work in public services. The Church Lunch Club with older people was by far the best of those uh, experiences. Uh, I've got lots of good stories to tell. Some are probably more for the pub than in the church building. Um, but actually, I've been blessed uh, by those things probably more than I've ever been able to give to someone. Um, currently, I've got the privilege of using the skills and knowledge I've developed to be a lame board member for the UK Faculty of Public Health. Um, the faculty... Um, it, has actively sought a lay board member with voluntary community and faith perspective to inform their work. So as Hugh was touching on, actually, people want people of faith in the public sphere. They put an advert out across the country saying, we want someone of faith uh, to input to this. Uh, so you may know that the Faculty of Public Health has a strong focus on tackling the root causes of health inequalities that prevent people from flourishing in their life and they do all sorts of things with training with professionals, policy and advocacy work, uh, trying to build an evidence base of what works um, and this stretches um, across the globe. Um, so moving on to the next slide. Um, so much of the work of the Faculty of Public Health, very much a secular organisation, albeit an inclusive one, I actually think covers quite a lot of Mark's three to five of the Mark's mission. Um, so great that they want input from people of faith um, to that work and are very attuned to it. Um, my observation of doing the recent deanery days that some of you might have been to um, in this deanery is that across the diocese, 
God is really blessing social action that's done in partnership with others. So it's blessing social action that is done together with other voluntary organisations, other faith organisations, often non-Christians, but people coming together to contribute their gifts and talents. And what we've seen as part of that is people are starting to be discipled in that being with context, actually. Uh, So that's been really interesting to observe across the geography and tradition um, of our own diocese. And that's covered all sorts of things, um, lunch clubs, toddler groups, debt advice services, um, domestic abuse. Uh, You know, the range is just endless. And it has also widened the relational fringe of the church and raises the reputation of the church in the community. Um, A church in Rotherham that does a lot on social action is the Minster Church in the centre of Rotherham. And it does it in a very empowering, being with way. And as part of our consultation, I was talking to someone from Voluntary Action Rotherham, which is like a community infrastructure organisation for other charities. And that person was absolutely lovely and very welcoming, but keen to tell me that he was an atheist. Uh, but he did say... Um, the work you're doing at Rotherham Minster and the individuals involved has raised the standing of the whole church in this town. Actually, that, that's the difference that is making in there. So, coming into land, I thought you might like just some good news about what's happening in our diocese. So, on the next slide, uh, this graph is um, showing all the different social action things that happen across the diocese. So the orange bar is 2019, the blue bar is 2022. And uh, top of the list, it's a bit faint, sorry, we've got food bank, lunch club, toddler group, community cafe, youth work, breakfast clubs, parenting courses, money matters and debt advice. So... You know, just to give you a feel, obviously you will notice that if orange is 2019 and blue is 2022, some of that has dropped back. That is a bit of a pandemic hit, but I thought it was interesting that the one that has increased is the money and debt advice. And then if we move on to the next slide, I think this will be a bit faint, but it just gives you an idea. So the items in blue are those that the church is responsible for. The ones in orange are the ones the church hosts. Green is done in partnership and red is supports. Uh, and it's the same sort of categories as on that previous slide. So how wonderful that our churches are hosting things, being responsible things, but also supporting and working with others. So there's loads of good stuff happening as well. So I didn't want you to end the evening feeling too gloomy. I'm conscious some of the things we've talked about do disturb our hearts as Christians and you can feel a bit flat from that but just want to say there is much to celebrate as well as much to be wholly dissatisfied with um, and we're happy to take any questions um, don't know if you want to do Q&A at the front or we can mill around uh, whatever suits okay. can we show our appreciation before the questions to Alex to Hugh and to Katie thank you very much indeed What I'll do is I'll circulate. It may be a question for a particular person about what they've talked about. It may be that you've got an experience about some of the things they've they've talked about that you'd like to share. What I suggest is if you hover by the ambo, and then I'm not coming back and forth, and then we can have whoever's speaking at the the mic there. So a question, a comment, perhaps something that you want to share. Who will kick us off? Yes, please, Fenny. Yeah, thank you. And if you want to say who who particularly for, if it's for all... Uh, Hello, it's for Alex, because I just missed on that last slide 
uh, the church was doing some things, the church was hosting, the church was doing in conjunction. I missed what the red was, I'm sorry. Support. The, the church doesn't say run a food bank but they collect for a food bank so that would be the support type model or they might give donations to something, that sort of model Thank you Fanny, thank you Alex Another question or something to share a comment? Yes Barry and then suggest if you stand at the ambo save me coming back and forth, that would be great um, It's just a, a question for Hugh actually um, You mentioned the quite encouraging scenario of uh, society coming back into the education system because they've you know, realised something's missing. Um, and I'm just wondering what, you know, there's this desire to get, get back involved uh, and, um, and hopefully sort of with Christian stuff. Um, uh, what, what, what sort of things are the schools actually doing in that, uh, in this, this scenario? So I'll just give a, a quick example. I, I, in fact, I'm doing it next Monday. I get to chat to the incoming curates um, who've found themselves in the Diocese of Sheffield. One of the things I, and, and also new, when clergy arrive, actually, Mark, you're very much not new now, but I think I, I might have uh, done this when, when you arrived. And one of the things it is a joy to say to those folks is um, that they really could go and knock on the doors of the community primary schools, not the church schools. Oh, the, I mean, we'll, the church schools will get them in anyway. They don't have a choice there. But the community primary schools are so open to the involvement of the church. And um, I think I've, I think during my career I've seen a cycle on that front. I have seen, in some cases it's due to misguided perceptions of the church's requirements or wishes from schools. In some cases it's due to certain conflicts, tensions that have had to be hammered out around the fact that we live in a multicultural society, that sort of thing. But look, during the 80s it is definitely the case that I sat in staff rooms where there were discussions about somebody telling the vicar they weren't welcome. That won't happen. It may, ha it may happen in one or two exceptional cases. That is much less likely to happen now. What is more likely, I was in a school today, not, not a church school, um, and I just mentioned, you know, I'll happily come along and do collective worship. This was a secondary school, very large secondary in Thorn in Doncaster. Uh, I'm going to have to watch my diary because I think they'd have me in more than I'm able to do. They definitely want Christians to go in sometimes to talk in RE lessons about how their life and faith work together. It's that sort of thing. Um, and also just the resources of the church as a support. Uh, look, I, I, I'm always wary about being too exclusive about our faith um, because outside of our faith tradition there's great stuff goes on. But I have to say the Christian faith, it's not on that graph up there. Forget the church schools. I'd be really interested to see school governance up there with that same split because the Christian faith's involvement in school governance is really good and it's because of what I said at the start. People inspired by that, when, Lord, when do we see this? What do you want us to do? You know, every Sunday we come here and get inspired to go out there and do something more. So I could go on, as you might have noticed, I could go on and give lots of examples, but in community schools, the doors are very much open to folks from the Christian tradition to go in 
and take apart. Open the book. If you don't do open the book here, something to Google. Some, if you've got an open the book group, great. Schools love it. Church schools do, all schools do. Thank you, Hugh, very much, Barry. Thank you for the question. Other thoughts, questions, something people want to add into the conversation? Do just put your hand up. Yes, Rob, thank you. Hi, um, sorry, I'm the father of three uh, appallingly privileged and spoiled kids, and when we were trying to kind of introduce them to the world outside of this postcode. We got involved with something called the Beesum Project. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Unfortunately, kind of, and we did do some successful volunteering with them. Um, it was quite hard to find somewhere easily on a casual basis getting your kids involved in something voluntary. The Beesum Project worked really well for us. Um, I was wanting to know, some questions are, is the Beesum Project still going? We kind of disengage with them around the pandemic. If not, is there something similar that you can get your teenage kids to do to make them raise their eyes from you know, inevitable screens? I suppose that's my question. Um, yeah, uh, Beeson was something I used to know about, and I'm not, I'm not sure, but uh, Voluntary Action Sheffield uh, keep a record of volunteer opportunities. So if you look on their website, they've got a volunteer bureau that helps to match people into opportunities. So um, there might be something there around your kids' passions, what they're interested in. Um, uh, it might sound a bit weird. I've always really enjoyed the company of old people. So actually, when I was... I used to always like going and visiting some old people on the way home from school when I was a teenager and the church community is so ideally set up for that, isn't it? Especially now people often don't have grandparents nearby. So I guess it's finding something that chimes with their passions. But Sheffield, uh, Voluntary Action Sheffield and their volunteer bureau has got a whole list of things that you can be involved in to a lesser or greater extent. That might be an OK starting point. Thank you, Alex, very much. Rob, thank you. Other questions? Things people want to chip in, ask, add? Any near the front? Yes, brilliant. Thank you, Richard. I was wondering how a community like us, can, or a church like us, can find out what our community needs are. Alex is telling me the St. Gabriel's parenting course example, so that's a very good case in point. Um, so you can do something formal that's called a community needs assessment, uh, which can be facilitated by um, professionals in the local area, which looks specifically at the data that m may be held and also the opportunities that are already there in terms of partnership working. So that's something that um, in the model I talked about earlier for the Salvation Army, there were teams that could go out and support you to do that. I think where we could start in terms of the data that we hold um, at the diocese, we have some good information around demographics, around um, deprivation indices. We also have data on what's already in place, so things that are already happening, things that could happen where you could either support, like we talked about before, or things whereby uh, there may be a partnership opportunity. Um, there's also the, the work around fundraising and support for, for projects that may be happening either in this community or, or elsewhere and I think being open to alternative types of social action so not simply thinking about things like food bank like uh, the parenting classes is a really good example so assessing listening to your community um, you've got great wisdom in this room and in your church family more widely so 
what is it that you are coming across that is a challenge for people that people could be supported in? So it doesn't have to be a huge uh, investment in a huge um, fanfare of a programme activity. It can be something quite simple and, and organic that grows from what, a need that you assess within your church family. Or, or you can be supported more externally to do that on a more professional basis in terms of a, a needs assessment. Um, there's a really good tool called, um, it describes a lot of what Katie said, called Know Your know your Church, Know Your Community, and that's looking at where are our connections, uh, you know, where are we spending our time through the week, so where are those connections and what do we know and listening to community needs. And what I liked about the St. Gabriel's example was because people in the church had got kids in the local school and they picked up that parents were really anxious about um, online safety of their children and feeling very out of their depth. They actually found um, a parenting course that focused on that. So that was listening to the need and then and then working together to do something about it. When I worked in public services um, a few years ago, one of the highest needs that came out in this wedge of Sheffield was actually loneliness and isolation. Um, so people needing a neighbour to knock on the door often, maybe encouraging them to join in with some activity or go along to something was um, a really significant issue. I quite like this. We were told to hover. I'm standing there thinking, should I stand there with my hands like that? Uh, great, great do, hovering. You carry do, on. Do a proper hover when we're there. Um, but I am just going to shamelessly plug the thing I mentioned at the end very quickly as well and say, if you Google it, or I can get a link, in you know, refugees at home, that's not necessarily a need outside there at the moment, though actually, you know, you've got a sheltered yard. It could be. Um, but currently in the asylum system, there's a bit of a difficulty around the whole business because claims are being processed for various reasons to do with pressure coming from certain sources quite quickly. People are being turfed out of their asylum accommodation quicker than they can be placed in the accommodation they move to after that. So whereas we used to have to have people sleeping on our church floor um, because they'd come on the small boats or come through other means and found themselves in Sheffield or been placed in Sheffield but nowhere to live. Um, at the very start of the asylum system, Refugees at Home is now working with people in the asylum system who are just stuck and need a short stay, say five or six weeks, you usually get check-in, check-out over the course of it that it's going well. You do get a chance to say whether the stay is going well early on um, so that you, know, you can say, actually, this is not for us. Um, and look, I'm going to say this because, <laughs> yeah, I come out of well, Safeway. I come out of, not Safeways, gosh, I, would, I, would, I come out of Tesco's, right? The homeless person there, uh, some of them, I know a lot of the homeless folks around our end. Some of them I know have got spaces that they can be. Some of them I know haven't and will be sleeping rough. I'd love to take the rough sleeper home. I'm just not going to do that tonight. I'm definitely not going to do that tonight. I feel very different, maybe I shouldn't, but I do, about the young man who is an engineering student, but because of political pressures back in his own country, he's had to cross Europe, find his way across the channel and finds himself in Sheffield. I have found it easier accommodating an asylum seeker, a refugee, than the person outside Tesco's. It's it, it sort of, you know, I say that I suppose just to appeal to some of the sort of tensions that may lie within it. But refugees at home is already happening across the city as a need, basically. So.
Uh, I'm, um, it's Martin. Um, we focused quite rightly tonight on need, uh, um, on situation with um, engaging with schools and engaging with those who are in real need, not really that able to help themselves. I'm just, but also I'm just thinking about other areas of Christian engagement in the public life. So like engagement in the workplace, engagement in politics, and such things as that. So I'm just wondering if there's, uh, while it's very, very valid to focus on things we have, I think there's, there's, there's other areas of public sphere engagement that we all mustn't neglect as well. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's the thing about responding to where we find ourselves, isn't it? And what are the things that move our hearts? So actually, being a Christian in the workplace uh, and being a light for Christ in that place, that might be what God's calling you into. God might stir your heart for something else. I think it's about thinking about where, where have you got a chance to be that light for Christ, as Katie said, and live out our baptismal calling each day. And, you know, I think we shouldn't underestimate the power of the small things either that actually being a pleasant person at work always kind always considerate that might have a massive impact on someone else's life if that isn't the culture in the rest of the place thank you Alex yes you please um, Martin I, I, yeah I, I'm uh, you're right involvement in politics uh, don't get me started uh, okay um, but you, you rightly I think have also um, nudged through to I think Understandably, we've, we've ended up a lot of Mark III of those five marks of mission. Um, there's obviously huge amounts of work going on in the diocese. You've got folks here who are well versed in it on Mark V. I think we haven't touched on, we've glanced on Mark IV, which is our duty to be involved in the transformation of society as well and the challenging of unjust structures. I will give one more shameless plug. If anybody wants to come and have a really lovely Palestinian meal, uh, as part of uh, our church's fundraising efforts um, uh, and our community's fundraising efforts for what's going on in Gaza at the moment. Uh, and I'm sure you, like us, are praying every Sunday for Gaza and for the hostages and for the, um, the ongoing situation in Gaza, and particularly Rafa at the moment. Then see me afterwards. We've got a little event, but it is very much about that fourth mark of mission as well, which I think everything we've said ties in with that fourth mark. I think we've said a lot about the third, but everything we've said, you could apply it to the fourth as well, particularly when it comes to Christians being in those party meetings, being in those political spaces, because the voice you can offer there sometimes is the only voice that will offer forgiveness and redemption and words like that into debates that can otherwise become quite toxic. Thank you, Hugh. And I suppose another plug for the next two connections, which very much are based in the workplace, one in the field of law, and then one in the world of the NHS. So they'll be exploring those two, not politics granted, but in the workplace. So do come along. Can we show our appreciation again? And then I'd love to uh, share a few thoughts myself. Thank you. Let's say thank you. I'm sure you'll agree one of the threads that's perhaps the thread that's ran through is the being with. So thank you for that challenge. Thank you that, for that call from Sam Wells that you've brought to us in our different contexts to be with. Hugh, thank you very much. I think Barry picked up on it. The sense that the public square is moving back to God, I think, is for many of us surprising until we hear it. And that's encouraging for us. So thank you for that.
And Katie, thank you for the reminder that the public square can seem so ambiguous. What's my role? How do I play my part? And your call and reminder that actually the public square is where you find yourself. You know, Alex mentioned the loneliness. It's your neighbour next door. It's your friend who would love to meet up and is isolated and on their own. And Alex, thank you for that prophetic call to be in partnership with others. We know that especially with our church here and the school, Clifford All Saints, but I'm sure there's lots of other ways as a church we could grow and begin to be in partnership with others and not just doing our things that we're doing in isolation. So thank you very much to each of you. I know we've got a gift for each of you that our dear vicar is bringing out now. So thank you. Can we show our appreciation again to Alex, to Hugh and to Katie? Thank you very much indeed. Gift is more sort of seasonal for Easter uh, than Lenten penitence. Um, thank you very much. Uh, we sit around many meetings at Church House. It's just nice for me personally to sense something of your other side in your heart for your, your normal life and uh, professional life as well. So thank you again from me. Friends, before I conclude with a prayer, do stay for refreshments and uh, future kind of conversation in our midst. Can I underline the importance of some of the questions and uh, things on this handout? This evening is recorded. There was a particular request from the PCC, the members who aren't here I've noticed and have named in my prayers, uh, but you're welcome to uh, use these questions for home group and personal reflection and uh, signpost the talk this evening which is recorded to others. Simon's mentioned uh, two weeks today, James, who's a personal friend of mine and a barrister often in uh, uh, the old Bailey and uh, trying people for murder and is well versed in helping us to come to terms with the criminal justice system tells some really good stories uh, can't wait for you to hear him uh, Jane Robinson of course is one of our own members and will help us uh, engage with the whole area of how we come to terms with pain so we've had the Church of England we've got murder and pain to come <laughs> Uh, what a lame course. Do uh, encourage others uh, to come along, please. A moment's quiet. I'll lead you in a prayer. Loving Lord, for those clearly that we've heard of less fortunate than ourselves, we pray. We pray for compassion. We pray for clarity as to how to serve. And we pray for courage to name Christ and be Christ to them. And as each of us stand before you in need of mercy and grace day by day, so we pray once again during this season of Lent for your blessing. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for coming. Do stay for refreshments.